Uh, it is such a blessing to be here this morning and uh, to welcome so many students back to the community. And believe it or not, this is the most full this room has been in almost six months. And so it feels good. It also feels good to hear muffled singing. Uh, some of you, it's best if you sing muffled. So Bill Price, you know who you are. That's right. Uh, as we jump into a three-week study here, we want to take some time as we come uh, out of the summer and we jump into uh, a new ministry year as a church family, into this season individually. Uh, it's just a unique season, and it's uniquely challenging on some levels. And so what I want us to do is spend the next three weeks just looking at uh, a portion of the key objectives that we have drawn from our mission statement. When we say that we want to grow disciples of Jesus we see these four areas in which we need to focus in on. One is worship, one is community, one is service, and one is mission. We see those rhythms as being the healthy rhythms of each and every follower of Jesus. And uniquely in this season, we want to focus for the next three weeks on worship and community. Because right now, I think that the, uh, where we find ourselves in this moment uh, is making those two rhythms incredibly challenging. Incredibly challenging to know how to stay fully engaged in worship, how to stay fully engaged personally, but also corporately, uh, and also how to engage other people to live as family, to live in true community. So we're going to spend the rest of this month talking about those, uh, those ideas together, and then we'll jump into Mark, and uh, I just want to let you know I mapped out Mark, uh, you know, depending on the will of the Lord, I think we will be finishing Mark at the end of May next year, so there you go. You're wondering, that's the target. But for this morning, we're going to turn our attention to Matthew. Uh, let me go ahead and pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for some time to gather and to consider these things together as your brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, your only begotten son. We thank you that you sent him for us and we get to hear from him and to see him clearly in this word. Spirit, we thank you for inspiring it. We pray now that you will make us good students of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, and then we'll look at one text from Psalms near the end. But let me, we're going to focus in primarily on verse 37, but I'm going to read uh, a little bit of the context. So Jesus is in the, is in the midst of a conversation uh, with a Pharisee. In verse 36, the Pharisee says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we have here Jesus asks, what's the greatest commandment? And what he says is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. And we're going to sort of dive into that as we think about God's call for us to be worshipers. Not just people who gather for a service of worship, but people who are in, at, at a core level worshipers. And so we're going to talk this morning about personal worship. Next week we're going to talk about corporate worship, family worship. But today we're going to talk about our personal lives of worship and how to engage in those. Uh, there's a pastor and an author that, that I read from periodically, and this is a quote from him. His name is Tim Chalice. He wrote this. He said, Many Christians feel guilty admiring and desiring the biblical examples of those like David who delighted in the Lord and in his word. They sincerely desire to have a passion for prayer and scripture, yet find themselves lukewarm at best. It's crucial that we come to understand our time with God as an opportunity to simply be with him, 
to worship and delight in him. And so here we have Chalice talking about probably a tension that you felt before, where you're like, you know, I want to be passionate. I, I want to love spending time with Jesus. I want to meet with him in his word. But at, you know, most avenues or most junctures in my life are honest. Like, I just feel lukewarm about it. I go through it sometimes in a perfunctory way. But it's not this life-giving thing for me. It's not this intimate relationship for me. And so it resonates with us. And we know that like, personal worship, when we say that, we know it matters. We know we're designed to be worshipers. And immediately we think of quiet times, and quiet times are definitely part of it. Like spiritual disciplines, we'll talk about that a little bit. That's part of it, for sure. But oftentimes we, we get crossed up on why we should engage in personal worship. And if you don't understand why you should engage in personal worship, you're probably going to go about it in such ways that you're going to undermine the very rhythm you're trying to develop. We have to know why. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to talk about the goal of personal worship, how to engage in personal worship, and the effect of personal worship. All right, so let's first talk about the goal of personal worship. And we're going to focus in, as I said, on verse 37. And I just want to look at the very beginning when Jesus says this to that Pharisee, you shall love the Lord your God. The goal of personal worship is to deepen our love for God. That's the goal. I mean, if you were reading the FBO Bible reading plan with us and you're doing all three categories, like you're doing the New Testament, which we've asked everyone to do, but you're also adding some Psalms and Proverbs, and maybe you're jumping into the three-year plan, which we have for the Old Testament, then you just read Deuteronomy 6 on Friday, where God tells Moses to give this same command to the people. You shall love the Lord your God. Now, Moses says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And we'll talk about kind of the difference between might and mind uh, in just a few moments. But it's the same command. And then as you read through Deuteronomy and later on end up in Joshua, you're going to find in chapters 10, 11, 13, 19, and 30 of Deuteronomy the same command to love the Lord your God. doesn't add on kind of the, the engagement pieces, but the call is there. And then Joshua puts that same call before the people as he ends his ministry in, verses, in chapters 22 and 23 of Joshua. So we need to understand when Jesus says this, he's, he's talk, talking to a Pharisee. He's talking to people who would know, oh yeah, I've heard that before. And Jesus is saying, you have heard that before, and nothing is more important than you having a loving relationship with the Lord your God. So the goal of our personal worship has got to be a deepening love for the Lord. If, if anything else is the goal of our, of our personal worship, what's going to happen is, is it's, going to, it's going to burden us. If we're not desiring to grow in our love for the Lord, if it's something else, whether we feel like it's a, a duty that we have or whether we, we feel like, hey, it's actually a way that I can convince God to do something for me, I can kind of leverage God through being faithful, any of those, those are just burdens. That doesn't deepen our love. Our goal has to be a deepened love. We partner with uh, Church of the Highlands to do their, their kids' summer uh, conference they, we hosted here. And a couple of years ago, they gave out water bottles to all the kids, these metal water bottles. And I see them every day during the school year because my boys put them in their lunchbox. And one of the things it says that gives like, their, their motto for their, their Highlands kids is love God, love others, do your best, have fun. It starts with love God. And so my boys see that, uh, my boys that use that bottle, see that every single day. They call it a love God. And it's that simple command. And it's an interesting command here where God gives us the command. He says, you're supposed to love me. But as we'll see in just a few moments, like, that love is actually going to also unlock a passion that's going to deepen our experience. Like it's a command, but it's a command that's aimed 
at our best. But let's look at the command here. So Jesus says, all right, love the Lord your God. And so first let's talk about love. What does that call for us? That goal of personal worship is to love. And what does the Bible mean when it talks about love? John Piper said this. He said, you can tell what a person loves by what he or she devotes himself or herself to most passionately. Whatever you're most passionately devoted to is what you love. And we know this, we know that you know, to love is to be passionately devoted to something, and so we know that love is more than just like a general interest. If I'm generally interested in something or someone, I don't love them, I'm just generally interested in them. Or if I'm loosely attached to someone or loosely attached to something, I mean, I have a relationship, but it's not a, a, a committed, loving relationship. And we know, just, we know from personal experience what it looks like to be passionately devoted to someone or to something. No matter what your personality type is, there are things that unlock, at least on your own spectrum, passion. So we know that. And love is meant to be a passionate devotion. And so if we don't have that passion, we should long for it. We should desire to be passionately devoted to our Lord. But it's also a devotion, and a devotion means it's a core commitment. It's something at a gut level. You say, this is important. It's important no matter how I feel about it. It's a part of what I'm supposed to be about. And so it's a core level commitment. And we know that the Bible tells us that love is not just a passionate devotion. It's not just a core commitment. It's also other-centered. And love, the way we talk about love in our culture, and we're not the only culture that has twisted love, but we've done our own version of twisting love, we've made it about us. And so this idea of it being other-centered, love is something we, we want to experience. It's something we want to receive. It's something we want to elicit in others. But the biblical definition of love is other-centered. It's a giving, not a taking. It's a self-sacrificing, not a squeezing, right? And so this idea of biblical love, a love for God, is a, a, a love that, that just loves him for who he is, that has a devotion to him. Now, we're also, we also see Jesus say, not only are we supposed to be people who love, we're supposed to love a very specific being. We're supposed to love the Lord. And so what does it mean for us to love the Lord? To quote Piper again, he said, man's love of God is not a work done for God, but rather a happy and admiring acceptance of his commitment to work for those who trust him. And so what Piper means there is that our loving God is not a, a work that we do that he receives. It is a response of ours to what he's already done. Our love for God is always a response to him loving us. We know this from the, the letter that John wrote to the church in Asia, Asia Minor in 1 John, but we also know it from John 3.16. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? But then we also know from 1 John 4.10, which is a verse that I love, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So in this is love, not our love for God, but his unilateral love for us, his pursuing love of us. We're also told in that same chapter of 1 John, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. So if we want to have a deepening love for the Lord, then we have to become more and more overwhelmed by the love he has for us. It is not an act on our part to try and summon up more love. You and I will love him more the more we apprehend how much he's loved us. So our time devoted to the Lord should look, at, look like us longing to understand more and more how much he loves us. Our culture says you should try and squeeze love out of him. But the gospel tells us he's already heaped love on us. All we're doing is apprehending what he's already done. We're just beginning to fathom some of the depth of the love that he has for us. That's why we have to go back to the gospel again and again and again, because the gospel confirms to us that God loves us. 
He loves us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The gospel is the confirmation to us that we are loved. And as we understand that love more and more, we love the one who loves us. Our love is always a response. So if we want to grow in personal worship, if we want to grow as those who are more and more passionately devoted to our Lord, we have to more and more see how passionately devoted he is to us. That's the only path. So your, your personal worship, your personal quiet time, it's not about convincing him to love you. It's you mining what he shared with you and discovering more and more how much he loves you. And that grows love in you for him. So as we think about this, the goal of personal worship has got to be this growing devotion for Jesus that's born out of this humble joy over the love that he's shown to us. And that, that's how we can see this command that's given to us, to love the Lord. It's a command. It's essentially God commanding us to do something that we should already want because it's for our best, but we've turned our backs on it. And so he's calling us back into what's best for us. It's a command that leads to our flourishing. It's kind of like when you teach your kids to read. A lot of times they don't want to because it's a lot of work to learn to read. But once you can read, you can't imagine not being able to read and you're so thankful for the ability to read and it unlocks so much for you. In a similar way, God says, hey, you need to love me. And as our love starts to deepen for him, we're like, oh, I couldn't imagine not. I can't imagine life without this relationship, without this depth. Carrie Underwood has this song. She released it a couple years ago. Uh, and the song is called What I Never Knew I Always Wanted. Uh, I don't think it made it on the radio or if it did, not for very long. But it's a great song. And essentially, it's her talking about the fact that she didn't plan on ever getting married or having kids. And then life took a direction that had her getting married and having kids. And now she, she has something she never knew she always wanted. And so one of the lines is this, I finally found what I never knew I always wanted. I couldn't see, I was blind till my eyes were opened. That's essentially what this command does for us. It opens our eyes to what we never knew we always wanted. And that's to have a deepening love for God. And so obeying this command is not about earning anything from God. It's actually about us being pulled deeper into a relationship that we were designed for. All right, so that's the goal of personal worship, this deepening love of God. Now the second aspect of this is engaging in this personal worship. How do we go about engaging in it? And Jesus actually calls us into that as well. In verse 37, where Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God, and how should you do it? You should do it with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, is it hot in here? Because I'm like, I'm like sweltering. I'm going to have to get a sweat rag. Goodness. All right. Or maybe, maybe it's the spirit. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But as we think about engaging in personal worship with our heart, our soul, our mind, our might, uh, the question might be asked, like, how should we approach this growing love, this devotion to Jesus? And the answer is holistically. Your whole self devoted to the Lord Jesus. And so if we're going to unpack that, what's it mean to have our heart, soul, mind, and or might all aligned towards and being devoted towards Jesus? Our heart is our affections, the things we long for having our heart long for the Lord Jesus. Our soul in the Bible, the soul is meant to be, like we usually think of the soul almost as like this disembodied spirit idea, but it's actually in the Bible meant to be like your whole being. Like you are more than just your flesh. Your soul is how we encompass that idea that you are more than just a fleshly creation. So your whole being. And then mind or might. Jesus says mind, Moses said might. What they were both getting at in their own context is the source of action. 
In a Hellenistic world, Jesus is saying, you worship through action. And the mind is the seed of action. It's where you make choices that lead to action. And Moses was saying to the people of Israel, in a different context, your might, meaning the exerting of action. Your whole self and all that you do. This is where, this is the, the arena of worship. So if we take that as a whole, it means that this love is meant to shape the, the way we feel. It's meant to be the focus of our life. It's meant to be the impetus for our thoughts. It's where we find our, our choices and actions. It's how we guide our actions. It's where we make our plans. It informs our hopes. It informs our dreams. It's a love that shapes us at every level. It's a holistic love. And the gospel is what draws us into that kind of holistic love. The fact that God gave everything for us means he's redeeming everything in us and for us. Whole self, whole being. I think romantic love is a great way of illustrating this. We know what it's like to have to experience love, and when you experience love, you, you start making different choices. You start thinking in different ways. So before Hillary and I got engaged, Hillary's my bride, my wife. We've been married for 14 years as of last week. And before we got married, when we first started dating, I quickly knew that I wanted to be with her for a lot longer than she thought she wanted to be with me. Uh, so that was the challenge. Challenge accepted, and I won. Uh, but as, as our relationship was developing, I was planning, before we started dating, my plan was I finished uh, college and I took a victory lap or half lap, so I ended up finishing it in December. And then I was working at Applebee's where I had a full-time job and I was going to finish up my lease while I was at college and then I was going to go to Prague and teach English as a second language for a couple years and then come do something else. I didn't really, that was my, my big plan. Uh, and then I met Hillary. And slowly, actually not all that slowly, I realized I didn't like my old plan that much because Hillary wasn't going to go to Prague. Uh, Hillary was actually pretty excited that I was going to go to Prague because it made it for an easy break, right? Clean break right there. Uh, so I did, I did an about face. I decided, actually, I'm not going to go to Prague. But not going to Prague was not a sacrifice for me. I didn't feel like I had to give up Prague for her. I just didn't want to go anymore. I was like, well, actually, I don't want that anymore. I'm sure it's great, but I don't want it anymore. That's what love does to us. We just start thinking differently. We prioritize differently. Our choices end up reflecting what we want because what we want has changed. And that's what I want us to see here is that when, with, our heart, with our heart, our soul, our mind, our whole being changes the more our, we have a deepened love for our God. We start loving him in new ways. We start loving things that he loves and it's not a sacrifice for us. It's just an unlocking of these new passions and these new uh, exciting uh, avenues that we freely choose because of what's been going on in our hearts. So this command for us to love our Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and strength, it is a command for you and I to go into a life that is a life of flourishing. It's a life that we were designed for. This is not a call to somehow sacrifice all of your hopes and dreams. It's actually to find an avenue to what you never knew you always wanted. And then you can't imagine life without it. So I want to talk just briefly about our spiritual disciplines. Like, how do we actually, like, this is boots on the ground. How do we get into this? How do we deepen our love for the Lord? How do we become more holistic in our worship of the Lord? And I think our spiritual disciplines are great. When I say that, I mean things like studying and praying and meditating. And as we can see in this framework here, it's also called uh, a call to make choices out of worship. Our choices, all of our choices, our life choices are worship choices. But our study, like when we think about studying, as Presbyterians, we love to study. We will study and study and study. And then once we've studied something, we'll feel like we've mastered it and we'll move on to something new to study. And we all we do is study. 
Maybe that's not you, but that is my natural bent. Study can't be academic if it's meant to be devotional. It can have some academic resources. It can broaden your knowledge for sure, but the goal of study is a deepened love for Jesus, not head knowledge, not to know how to win an argument with another Christian friend of a different denominational persuasion, not even to try and explain to your mom why you're choosing to do the things that you do. Like your goal is to deepen your relationship with Jesus. Now, prayer, prayer. I think sometimes we approach prayer and we think, yeah, prayer is important, um, but there's very little difference between the way we pray and the form letters that we send to our elected officials. Like, hey, God, there's something I need you to do. I love you so much. Will you do it, please? That would be great. And then we wait until we have something else that we want him to do. But prayer is meant to be actual, like, intimate relationship conversation, conversation with a loved one. And so we may have to reorient the way we think about prayer so that it's more vulnerable, more transparent, that's more raw. But prayer, I'm not saying don't pray. I'm saying we need to think about how is my prayer life going to deepen my love for the Lord. Meditation, meditation, all meditation is, is just lingering on thoughts about the one you love. You and I meditate on things all the time, all the time. We just let thoughts linger. We let thoughts sit with us. And that's a good practice. And for us to deepen our love for Jesus, the call is for us to let thoughts of him linger, thoughts of the love that he has for us linger. And as they linger in our minds, they actually deepen our love for him. And then, as I said before, we have to realize that, hey, the decisions that I make, they're actually acts of worship. But if I'm actually studying, hearing from God, interacting with God in prayer, letting thoughts of him linger, then when it comes time to make decisions, it doesn't seem so out of the realm of possibility that that decision also would be an act of worship. Because everything I think about in the process of making that decision is informed by the relationship that's deepening. Now, real, real uh, sort of nuts and bolts here. If you have never, uh, if you've never really taken the dive and jumped in on sort of personal worship practices, this is just a shameless plug. Grab a bookmark on your way out and jump into the New Testament reading with us in the FPO Bible reading plan. And if you're wondering, like, well, how do I go about this? How do I deepen my love for Jesus? How do I obey that command? Just reading that text is not actually like obeying the command, but it is a step. It is a tool to help you. And if you've never wrestled with, like, how can I, like, maybe, like, the idea of meditating, you're like, that does not sound like something maybe I'm supposed to do, or if I am supposed to do it, I don't know how to do it. Uh, and there's essentially three things I want to share with you. I'm going to, I'm going to call it, like, PR3, if you, want to, if you want to try to remember it. PR3. You're going to pray and you're going to read. You're going to pray and read the New Testament. Then you're going to pray and reflect on what you just read. Like, what jumped out at you about it? And then you're going to pray and you're going to ruminate, because ruminate is an R and meditate is an M, so I won't ruminate. But essentially that means meditate. That means you take one thought, one thought from that time spent reading and reflecting, you just take that thought away with you. You don't have to remember the outline of the whole book of Romans. You don't have to remember a direct quote that Jesus made unless that's the one takeaway that you had. Just take a small piece away. One word, one thought, and ruminate on it. Meditate on it. That's a spiritual discipline that's going to help you deepen your love for Jesus because you're going, to be, you're going to begin to apprehend how much he loves you. All right, i got to wrap it up here. So the last thing I wanted to mention is from Psalm 37.4. So if we go about obeying this call, if we obey this, this command that is given to us to love the Lord with our whole being, what will the effect be? 
Well, David tells us this. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which means if we have this deepening love, this devotion, this delight in God, it's going to profoundly affect our lives. It's going to shape us. It means it's going to restore us. You and I are going to be given what we long for. But I hope you realize that's because God's going to change our longings. By by growing a deepening love for him, what we're going to want is more of him. And he says, I will always give that to you. You will always get what your heart's desire, what your heart desires. If you're delighting in the Lord, what you want is more of him in whatever context you find yourself. And the promise here is you obey the command, you get everything you could have ever wanted. You just didn't know you wanted it. He gives it to you in spades, all of it. And so the encouragement for you and for me this morning is this is a command. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But woven into that command is also a promise. As we delight in him, we will get our heart's desires. We will end up longing for him more, experiencing him more deeply, and he will bring a flourishing and a fullness to our life that we could have never fathomed and will never want to lose. Lord Jesus, thanks so much for this time. I pray that you will help us to be men and women who do engage in personal worship. Men and women who do long to have a deepening love for you because we are more and more aware of how much you love us. It humbles us when we think about the gospel and we thank you for that humbling. But it also brings us joy and we thank you for that joy. We pray now as we go about our week that you will draw us into your word, that you will draw us to you in prayer, and that we will reflect and think on you. And this time next week, we'll look, look up and realize we're so much more aware of how much you love us, and you have filled us. And we know the feeling of that love that we have for you, the love that you've given us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.